Carl here from Games, Brains and Head Banging Life, GBHBL.com for short. And you're about to watch an interview with the American screenwriter, director, producer and actor, both on stage and in front of the camera, Daniel D. Weldon. The star of such movies as The Lay of La La Land, One Must Fall, Weekend Warriors, The Elephant Ride, Butter and Clyde and Anonymous 616. That's the movie where we first became aware of his work, a great horror thriller that you can check out our review over on the site in written format and a video review on this very channel. In the interview, we discuss all aspects of Daniel's career, from the early days and his very early roles, to the difficulties he faced in trying to get his name out there, to the starring roles he has taken on, such as Jason in Anonymous 616 and P. Terrence Pecker in The Lay of La La Land and the upcoming Wesley in Weekend Warriors, as well as a lot, lot more. It is a fascinating interview with someone deeply rooted in the industry of film and stage. Sit back and enjoy. Awesome. Well, thanks for taking the time to speak with me. It's really appreciated. And I mean, we want to kind of start things off really with how you've been holding up in what has been a very difficult year across the entire world. How have you been holding up throughout the pandemic times? Yes, uh, good question. Uh, you know, with COVID and, and everything that's been going on, and certainly in the US, as it is in England too, with, politically speaking, I had several projects uh, as an actor that got canceled because of COVID. So that was really tough. And it happened right up back in Mar uh, February of last year. Mm. And, uh, and so I lost a lot of opportunities, but I was filled with gratitude that uh, certainly Weekend Warriors, this film that's just coming out, you know, it was kind of a uh, good coincidence that certainly that COVID came about. So not only did the opportunities get canceled, but some projects that I did were postponed and they're editing and getting, getting them finished. So it's kind of timely and I'm so grateful to have uh, this film Weekend Warriors coming out right now. And then I have another one coming out called Chaser. Hopefully it should release in the middle of February or March as well. Uh, so excited about that, excited about some of the early, um, attention that's coming to the Weekend Warrior film that just released the other day. But yeah, it's been tough. Uh, I've learned a lot about myself in this time. Uh, it's been a really good break uh, from acting and we're still very limited in Los Angeles under the Screen Actors Guild. You know, there's a lot of heavy uh, parameters and lockdowns. So it's very difficult to shoot. Uh, projects can be canceled right away, but I feel hopeful and uh, again, it's just been a great time. I was working on a play uh, in between while we were on, still in COVID. Mm. A great actor named Ilya Volek, uh, who starred opposite Tom Cruise in um, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, along with many, many other great films. Mm. So he and I have been working on a play called Red uh, that's about the artist Mark Rothko. And uh, so that's been keeping me busy, practicing my craft. Uh, we did film professionally. We shot the first of five scenes of that play, which I'd love to share with you. It should be finished in a couple of, a couple of weeks even. Mm. Uh, it'll be like a sizzle reel being used to promote the play in Los Angeles. And, uh, but yeah, that's how I've been holding up. How about yourself? 
Um, I mean, because of what I do as a for a living, uh, work never stopped for me. So sure. for me, uh, we were, I was classified as a key worker, which is what uh, they've classified lots of us in this country as. Is and you're you 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 do a job that's required for the greater um, community, so to speak. So you you will continue to go to work. We weren't when we were in lockdowns. Um, I continued to work. So for me, for a very long time, uh, I didn't really feel like I felt almost detached. It's just mm -hmm. me and my wife who live here. I haven't. I have a seventeen-year-old son who lives with his mother. Okay. So even that is quite old and he's getting on. And while I have a large family, it was kind of like, well, look, we can't see each other. We've got to stay safe and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, then I caught COVID myself uh, last month. Right. You and, mentioned, yeah. Yeah. And um, that was a, a, a kind of like a, I knew it was going to happen eventually and still a shock. And obviously I, I'm better now. So that's great. And um, beyond that, it's just keeping, uh, keeping busy and getting becoming an expert at using Zoom. Because even with the family, yes. it's a matter of using Zoom to just to talk yeah. to anyone now. But, you know, you try and look at things as in the most positive way possible. Mm -hmm, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, in regards to you said you keep yourself busy, keep yourself, keep, keep yourself busy with writing the play. Then as someone who's been able to do that, what advice would you give to someone listening who perhaps is in a similar situation as you, projects being canceled, work being canceled and stuff like that, and who are maybe not coping as well. Is there any advice you could give? Well, first off, great question. Uh, yes, I think that uh, whatever artist you are, or anyone for that matters, I had a good teacher once tell me you're as good as an actor as you are a person. So, you know, taking that to heart, you know, if, if it's specifically two actors or musicians being that you cover predominantly those two mm. genres on your channel that, you know, practice makes perfect. And uh, if you're allotted the space and the time to practice your craft, uh, that's what I promote because you just grow and grow and grow as you learn more about yourself, whether you're playing a character or playing an instrument, you know, and that just takes time served. So uh, if that answers your question, Mike, and, and it's, and it's therapeutic, you know, mm. when it's, and it's easy to jump on the phone. I mean, speaking of uh, this play, Red, uh, by the way, we didn't write it, just so you're clear. Uh, John Logan is the writer of the play who also wrote uh, the movie Gladiator, oh. uh, the famous film. And the play has already been produced and it premiered on Broadway. So we're just doing another production of it. And uh, we're hopeful to get the rights to do the full movie as a play. But hmm. in working on that play, um, you know, Ilya and I, Ilya Bolick, the other actor that's playing Mark Rothko, it's a two person play. I play his assistant, Ken. Uh, and so we only rehearse on the telephone. So, and I learned this years ago, uh, just working out of the actor's studio where some actors would live across town and, you know, it's not easy to get together, especially if you're busy. And so I started working on the phone and then one of the great teachers at the studio, Mark Rydell, uh, who's a director and writer himself, he wrote uh, On Golden Pond um, and directed it as well. But he used to say, never get together with the other actors, just rehearse on the phone or sometimes don't even rehearse on the phone, just know what scene you're working on or what piece you're working on uh, and then bring it to a rehearsal, you know, and so, that started to become very uh, 
beneficial to me because I learned that I'm learning the lines, whether it's on my own or over the phone, but when I come together with the other actor on stage, even though we've been communicating on the phone, there's all kind of new things that started to happen uh, on stage that we could not have a pre-plan for, be consciously, hopefully not, or certainly unconsciously as we retain, you know, rhythms and systems uh, so that the work became revealed to me to be very spontaneous. So getting back to, uh, rounding back to your question, yeah, you can rehearse on the telephone and uh, and it's easy, you know, you can be working and, and I'm a big uh, advocate of, if you're an actor or a musician, really working on one piece. You know, I see a lot of actors over the years in school and at the actor's studio, they'll jump around to different pieces and it's like you're having multiple relationships, but if you stay with one piece, especially if you're working over the phone and you're practicing uh, with another actor or another artist, you really start to learn about the nuances of your own instrument because you keep working on a piece and you realize sometimes if you're, if you're a less experienced actor, you start to feel that you're playing this rhythm and this system because it feels safe, but eventually, you'll take a break from the piece and you'll come back and all kind of new stuff will start to happen. And the actor will start to surrender a lot more to the spontaneous creativity that's happening in the moment. And that's the ultimate goal, I think, for every artist, uh, you know, that takes years and years to cultivate. Uh, but that's a good beginning, you know, is rehearsing on the phone and when there's COVID and you can't get together, you know, and I've seen a lot of fellow actors and people where they get on Zoom and they'll even do a scene, they'll invite audience to it. Uh, so yeah, I hope, I know that was long-winded, but I hope it was helpful. <laughs> That's very, very interesting. I, I was hearing what you're saying about rehearsing on the phone and thinking, surely then when you, if in your example, you would do some rehearsals on the phone and then you get to that point where you meet face to face, surely one of the biggest changes in, for you will be, oh, now you've got the expressions, expressiveness yes. that, that comes with what you were hearing on the phone. And I imagine that must be a mix of disconcerting, but also exciting because as you said, it changes things around almost, right? Yeah, and it's also, you know, you know, acting is such a sensitive craft, you know, it's just coming on stage or on front of the camera, the instantaneous things that are given to us as talent, it's mm. everywhere, mostly how you feel that day you know, because you're going to feel different every day and moment to moment. And so working on the phone like that, uh, or working on your own and knowing what's going to come together is what I really learned working on camera, because the way I worked on stage did not translate in front of the camera. That took me a good, and, I'm, and I will forever be learning how to work on camera or on stage for that matter. But uh, acclimating from working on stage to camera, your greatest friend is not knowing mm. because then you become spontaneous. You have to spontaneously learn the scene that you're shooting that day. You have to know the lines, but you know, there's a system to learning the lines where you're not learning them with any kind of, or as I like to say, learn the lines rote. You know, like you can say the alphabet in English. I know in America it has a 
melody to it, like A, B, C, D, E, F, G, you know, and you have to get rid of that when you're learning your lines because you'll unconsciously learn the lines with a melody. You don't even know you're doing it. And so then you play the scene and you never let the other actor in to create a spontaneous uh, moment. And so learning your lines wrote, uh, like Jill and John went to the store and John noticed a hurricane. Well, you could, that was coming. So you could learn that line. Jill and John went to the store and noticed a hurricane, you know, and you start learning the lines that way versus John and Jill went to the store and noticed a hurricane. So you learn your whole script or lines that way. And then you engage with hopefully what is a great actor. And even if they're not, they're less experienced and they're learning because that happens at all levels in the industry, whether you're in school or you know, on a set with named talent, some actors work differently, but the, my greatest friend is not knowing. And so that's some of the work that I've noticed uh, when we were shooting Red, because we did come together uh, under restrictions with COVID and everyone was safe and wearing masks mm. and tests were being given. But because we had to work and rehearse over the phone, and we got into the space and now there's a camera and there's a DP and there's lighting and you know there's stop and go with production. You can survive on not knowing. And so you just get, you know, it helps the actor not push or indicate, you know. Uh, so again, extending that, that answer to your question and feel free to interrupt me. It, I too am learning on Zoom. It's not sometimes you can just go on and on and then, someone may feel that it's impolite to interrupt, but by all means, uh, you're the interviewer, so. No, that's know. absolutely fine, it's absolutely fine. I, I love detail and you've given an incredible amount of detail, but okay. I wanna go back to the very start. So, right. of you. So uh, when, do you, when do you remember getting an interest in being an actor? Now, obviously you've already talked quite a bit about what different, the, the fact that you also act in front of a camera, but you also act on stage. And I think that's very important for people to know that you have, you're multifaceted in that department. Yes. So when you did first get the acting bug, as it were, was it one or the other, e.g. you wanted to act on stage, or you were, wanted to be an actor in front of a camera and a big shot movie star a la Tom Cruise or someone like that? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I mean, certainly my aspirations, uh, when I really started studying acting formally when I was 19 in college and I actually changed my uh, major uh, from aeronautical studies uh, into full theater. Mm. Uh, because I had, a, I got bit by the acting bug, if you will. And the, the instant aspiration, I think, you know, if you're not groomed in a family of, of actors and you come about by formally going to school and studying acting, the dream is, oh, I wanna be on camera. I wanna be a star. And very, uh, very quickly on the fast track, I learned that, you know, that does not come easy <laughs> as, as people who are not even in the industry always say, boy, that's a tough profession and it's the toughest, you know, and early on, I learned that it was being more beneficial to me as a person studying acting where I was understanding myself better, how I socialized, you know, and so 
it was a win-win, but there was a turn where I had enough training where I started to work in theater and doing stage in Los Angeles uh, that I started to have a greater appreciation for the craft. And so then of course, I, for me, of course, I pressed into trying to get the best education I could. Uh, and that carried me all the way through from uh, working with Uta Hagen from HB Studios, which she's an old black and white film star and big stage star on Broadway. And then Howard Fine, and then I met Michael Arabian, who was a noted director in Los Angeles and New York for theater mm. and also studied with him. And then that pushed me into uh, getting accepted to the Actors Studio, both which is in New York and LA. Uh, and that's where my career really started to change. Um, and so getting more of that formal education and really understanding my instrument, uh, my creativity being, uh, this isn't too much of a word, but grossly uh, exposed by very powerful and noted talent that are recognized in the world that are part of the actor's studio where you get up on the stage and you know you think you know something and it, they just slice you down. <laughs> you know? uh, and that was early on uh, and still could happen if I went to the studio, if I was exploring a new character or trying to investigate some new character that I was trying to maybe take on onto the stage or in, into a movie, which I always do. I, I get vetted by the, by the people that I trust there that are the heads of the studio. Uh, but yeah, to come full circle back, it was that process that I started to enjoy how I was feeling. And that, you know, Uta Hagen said to me, and it's actually in her book, um, she, she writes, um, it takes 20 years to become a masterful crafted actor. Okay. No matter which way you come at it. Uh, and so as I learned that and I started to grow and I started to work more and start to work with more reputable talent, reputable productions, I started to see a trend that, oh, if I do the work, the work will come. And mm -hmm. so, and so it's been. So my aspirations is to uh, play stage and film. Film certainly and TV pay better, uh, but I'm excited to work on characters that, you know, I can bring my real life experience to the role. And, uh, you know, as I always say, if I can change one person's perspective to open up, to have hope, uh, then I've done my job. And that's starting with me, but, for my audience, uh, it goes without saying. So my, my aspirations now are, are filled with gratitude of getting roles that I'm really right for, that I can be part of a group of other actors and production uh, in film and television to really you know, extend hope to the community. Even if I'm playing a villain mm. or a tough character that I'm vetting the hero, like I am in Weekend Warriors, it's, a coming of age of a young boy, a teenage boy who's coming into adolescence and he's being bullied in school and then he has to go off on this weekend warrior trip and has to face 10 times that of the bully that he was in school. So by me playing that role in that film and still this character as this young boy, not giving the ending away, but facing his own 
coming of age, his own uh, mortality, if you will, uh, but his survival. And so playing roles where I can, whether I'm playing the villain, where I'm play, playing the antagonist or the protagonist, uh, that's my ultimate goal is to reach the audience because if I do that, then I'm doing my job and then that warrants me more work, uh, you know, to help community and help the audience move forward uh, in the excitement of a film, whether it's an action film or a horror film or, uh, you know, a comedy or whatever, whatever it might be. Yeah. So, yeah. So on IMDb, you, do you look on your own IMDb page much? Uh, it's checked in with from my reps. Uh, I don't really have a need to go to it uh, other than if, seeing if there's a new project. Uh, certainly every now and again, I'll check to see if there's any new press that's come mm. through. Sometimes it'll show up on IMDb. Yes, uh, of course. If I, if I don't get an alert through Google or one of my reps. But yeah, but every now and again, I'll, I'll take a look. The reason why I ask is because obviously your filmography is there and you go to your very first credits at the very, very bottom of your list of credits is as cop in the show NYPD Blue back in 1994. I yes. had to ask, is this correct? And do you remember this at all? Yeah, it was just, it was a, it was a day player role where I, I was bumped up as a, uh, what do you call it? Uh, featured extra. So I had, I, I got the credit for, uh, for playing in that scene where I have more time on, on camera, where I'm, I'm, I was playing an LAPD uh, uniform police officer. I didn't have any dialogue, mm. but it was just in the shot. It was one of the early uh, credits that I got that helped me get uh, my SAG card, where I got taft heartedly. Uh, it was one of the first things, and that's what an actor does when they come to uh, LA. Often they'll join what is called. Uh, I think it's called extras casting or the casting network. I haven't been a member for many, many years, but mm. once you be, once you learn, once you earn your screen actor SAG card, uh, and you get that by getting like a, if you get three featured uh, extra parts, you get three what are called uh, vouchers, which helps you get your SAG card. Oh, so cool. that was one of that was one of them for me. Oh, cool. It's just really awesome yeah. to see that you actually remembered that experience considering it was 1994. And as you say, it was just an extra. Yeah. Run. Yeah. I was very, I was early on in my career and hmm. the representative that I had at the time uh, got me that slot. So, yeah. And they're, 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 very, they're very good in the beginning of a career because it'll help you get your SAG card uh, eventually. So, okay. And those early, early years of your career, when you had those extra parts or you were in, in say, shorts and so on, what was the most difficult experiences for you in regards to getting noticed for roles and moving on, as it were, in your career? Yeah, you know, I used, you know, if you got a part in a small film and, hmm. you know, uh, it's being publicized. I remember I did a, a short film uh, called The Select Fit. And interestingly enough, I did that in, I think it was 2003, 2004. Mm. And um, I remember that it got a lot of good press. I played one of the three leads 
in this short, this short film. And, and then it ended up being selected by um, Fox uh, for what was the show at the time, Dead at, oh no, not Dead at 21. That was another show that I did. That was, um, boy, it's so far back. But mm. that, that particular short film, it's, it's on IMDb, it's um, YouTube, it's around. But yeah, you know, you, are, you get excited that you think it's gonna give you, uh, you know, more opportunities. And I got into a couple of film festivals and then certain things don't happen with it. It was, yeah, that was, that was the big thing. The LA, the LA Film Festival, it was selected in one of the top five shorts out of like 7,000 submissions. And it was premiered uh, at a very famous movie theater in Los Angeles called the Arclight in Hollywood where a lot of big movie premieres go. And this is where the short festival was being uh, premiered. And so we got to see it on a big screen and now we're in the running to win this million dollar purse is one of one of five finalists. Uh, we came in second runner up to the winner and you get so close and you know, you're early on in your career. And so being a younger actor and less experience, what you, what I learned was is this business is really tough, you know, and I have, probably 50 or a hundred of those types of stories. Mm. And as of recent, you know, you get really close, you get big meetings, uh, you know, or COVID comes about and you lose opportunities. And then I started to learn that this is just fate, you know, yeah. and whatever that fate is, it's trying to communicate to you as an artist, you know, it's testing your, your stamina and your will uh, to keep creating, you know, and so you have to trust, or as I say, to fellow actors or friends or, or anyone in life, you have to look at the road signs that are coming up in your life. Do you keep going down this road? Is there enough affirmation, you know, whether you get good press or someone has you in mind for a film that they're writing and uh, they have previous validated work or you like working with them? You know, if the ultimate goal is to, you know, make money in this business uh, because at a certain point you have to decide whether or not the road signs are saying keep going or veer left uh, you know you're not getting enough notoriety or press there's bills to be paid uh, are there enough support systems around you that are believing in you you know these are these are questions mm. uh, and and there's certainly the question of staying in the business just to be an artist, just yeah. to enjoy it. You know, uh, I know of artists, friends of mine that uh, approached their career very differently and got recognized in something and, and now they're big stars, you know? So uh, I always say you have to trust your feeling just like you do uh, as a good artist. It's all about feelings and knowing how to process, process those feelings that you're not overindulging or withholding, you know, and that takes, that's like learning how to fight, you know, mm. uh, professionally for your career, if you will. You know, and you start to learn how people receive you and understand you, uh, you get certain jobs, you get, and you get work from work. So that's also a road sign, you know, you'll, you know, the weekend warrior film that I'm doing is coming from uh, another, uh, 
another film that I did with that director. And now we're doing another film uh, that hasn't been announced yet that I've brought in talent that I know and talent they know, name talent. And so you start to see things start to build and grow organically. And that way you, you can keep a handle on it, you know, because I think sometimes if success comes too fast, mm. uh, you know, it, it can be testing to the, to the, to the artist. Uh, so, yeah. Okay, uh, so. it's awesome. So you can always edit, you can always edit this interview. <laughs> oh, absolutely! It's yeah. going up as it's well. See how how much if we're here for the next three hours, then we're, I might consider it. But right now, I'm just yeah. loving listening to do talk about these things because, of course, I mean, I have zero, absolute zero uh, knowledge or skill beyond watching a movie and then yes. and critiquing acting from a review of perspective but even that is flawed because everyone's taste and style will always be very very different what i enjoy well, another so. person can absolutely despise yeah and that's why that's why that's why i never turn down an opportunity uh unless i'm working mm. on set or working on stage and i'm you know uh, embraced by production but i never turn down and I learned this from a really good friend of mine, a very successful artist, a chance to be interviewed because it doesn't matter who uh, or what the situation is, you know, to speak of your craft uh, or even, even one time I was given great advice by a very famous actor who said, never turn down any work if you're not working. Mm. You know, certainly if it's within your morality and, you know, things that you want to do, you know, you don't, take you don't do every job as an actor but you know if, it, if it's right for you and it feels good you should not turn it down even if it's not paid because uh it allows you to learn about yourself this business is so delicate uh, mm -hmm. to work on camera and to keep working the artist has to really learn about themselves otherwise you get pigeonholed you know even if you're a great looking person if your craft is not at the speed, you know, you're old, and we see it in the industry in famous movies past, that actor will keep playing those same kind of roles. They may get some notoriety, but for them to play a lead role that the actor has and, and keep getting work to be relative, uh, you have to keep developing your craft. Mm. And it's very enjoyable because you get to learn about yourself. And uh, for me, I always say it's always, made me a better person, you know, you understand people better, because ultimately a character is, when the writing is for, say, me as a character, it's me trying to achieve a goal, you know, and express my need that's going to be always filled with hope, whether you're playing a villain and you're going to kill another character in the movie, or you're playing the hero and you're going to save another character in the movie the personification of the actor still has to play hope. Mm. Even, even if you're a villain, eventually, if you want the audience to care about you or understand you, why you are damaged and you're playing a villainous character. You know, we, we, because every person that's the audience, we're all human beings and we all feel each other's, uh, you know, woes, no matter what your, what society or what social background or economic background you come, 
you know, I was, I, I said to a friend of mine sometime, some time ago, sometimes I'll get really bad reviews from general audience uh, on yeah. streaming, you know, whether it's Amazon or uh, Netflix or, or IMDb, where a general audience can write a bad review. Mm. And, you know, when I was younger, you know, I would get criticism from people in class and you kind of get defensive. But I started to learn that even if only one person in the audience or one person writes something that, that's very critical, you know, you, as an artist, you learn to take it with a grain of salt. But I realized, Carl, that there's always some little bit of truth in that criticism, yeah. you know? And, and so, because that's my mirror, even if it's one person or hundreds of people, thousands of people or one big name critic, you know, uh, say like a Siskel and Ebert, mm. they give a criticism, not that I've ever gotten a, a cr critique from uh, them, I'd like to one day or the likes thereof. Uh, but yeah, you start to realize, and, and that's where you really become a crafted artist, where you start to feel, you realize that your transparency is always being exposed by every other human being. And, and I learned that some of that criticism, criticism that's really minute, I'll recognize it because I will have heard someone else had said it a time before. Mm. You know, it could have been five years ago. And uh, so it makes me think about that. It makes me open up a little more. Why did they say that? Okay. You know, and I think the unconscious is very powerful. Even an artist could go, well, they're hating on me or they're jealous, you know, and that's okay. But I think the unconscious has a lot to reveal in us as human beings, certainly as artists. Uh, and that is to play hope, you know, and I've learned that at the actor studio more than anywhere in my training is that even if I'm playing a villainous character, how do I play hope? You know, and speaking of anonymous 616, one of the redeeming qualities, again, by that I got to see a handful of times of just general audience writing in on IMDb and, and Amazon Prime is that even though this character was very villainous, I still cared about him. Mm. You know, and that's the parts that, if I could allude to anything for uh, a young actor or an experienced actor, uh, you know, as I'm always learning constantly, I'm learning right now with you on the phone, is that is is to how do we how do we get to that place that we let people in to see why we are acting villainous mm. or you know hopeful, you know. So yeah, that was long-winded again. <laughs> Don't worry about that. It's it's great, but you did bring it up, so let's dive into it. My first experience of your work obviously came from the exceedingly great horror thriller Anonymous 616, where you Thank played you. the lead Jason, a character, as you talked about, with many layers that begin to unpeel over a night of friends reuniting that turns horrifying. Now, that character and that role, can you remember what attracted you to it when you, I guess, were given either the script or, or were, went to, to audition? Because let's not beat around the bush with this one. It's a very intense performance and character, Jason. Yes. Uh, what attracted me to this role was uh, getting the audition. Uh, 
uh, from my reps. And, uh, and I was originally up for uh, not, not that particular role that I played as Jason. I was, I was up for the role of Eric. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so I was so excited about the audition because the dialogue, which you recollect in the film that he's talking about DMT and all the scientific jargon that went with uh, the writing and the script of this character. So I came in for the audition and I originally did that piece, but I was only in the room uh, with casting and the director mm. at the time, who was Mike Boss. Uh, it was maybe three or four other people in the room at the time uh, and the person that I read with. Um, almost two, halfway through the reading, he said, I'm gonna stop. And then the director looked over at one of the casting people and said, are you thinking what I'm thinking? And they said, yes, I am. And I didn't know what they were talking about. <laughs> he, said, he said, Daniel, I wanna give you another character to read for. He didn't say who it was or what it was. Uh, and he goes, you can, we can certainly reschedule you uh, to come back in to read uh, on another day to give you time or you can look at it. And if you wanna read today, you can. And if not, if you decide later you wanna come back, no problem. So uh, this audition came by way uh, for me in light of another film that I was producing along with my rep, Barry Crossed, that uh, fell apart. And so I was getting ready to go into a really great production. And so now the production got put on hold. So I was really kind of antsy to get a role in a, in a film. And I was just coming off a play a year ago. And, you know, as actors, you know, speaking of the business, you know, you're trying to stay relative, you're trying to work. You're trying to get work that's going to give you exposure. And so this, this audition came up and uh, this indie film and I went in on it. And when I read the script in the lobby, the, not the script, but the sides just for the, the character for Jason, it just instantly connected with me. Mm. I didn't need to, I didn't need to uh, practice. I didn't need to, I had enough, skill set but something was happening in that moment that i had never experienced before was how right i was for the role and the instantaneous feeling that i can go back in there today and do this audition you know because when you're younger sometimes you and depending upon your personality type you want to prepare 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 and that's what i was saying alluding to early on the conversation with trusting the spontaneousness the creativity the instantaneous thought that actually works, I believe, for us. I was excited when you said, we're just gonna talk today. There was no plan, you know, and now it's alluding to this experience. And that's what we try to do as artists, just like musicians when they play jazz mm. or, or a great artist that have spontaneously rehearsed, say like a Led Zeppelin, you know, I know you probably like them, I suspect, <laughs> uh, or, the, or the Rolling Stones, you know. They, they, they warm up, but they, they, when they come together, it's spontaneous, mm. you know? And so it takes a skill set, you know, and, and experience to learn that. So I instantly gravitated towards the part. I went in, I did the audition. Um, I can share that with you too. I have that on tape. It's interesting that the audition before we shot the movie. Oh, wow. And, uh, 
I didn't know anything about the script. It was a very, very, very nothing that we see in the movie. I, I, I didn't, I just knew that it was, a, you know, we just got the sides. So I didn't know a lot that was going on. And so then uh, I got the call back and I went in and uh, they gave me a little bit more, or no, they actually, I think it was the same script they gave me that first day. I came back a week later and uh, didn't know anything for, I think almost three weeks because it was over the Christmas break and New Year's 2017. I think it was 2016 going into 2017. Yeah. And, uh, and then they offered me the part and then they sent me the script. And when I read, <clears throat> you know, sometimes when I relive an experience, it takes me back. So <clears throat> when I read the script, there were certainly concerns because of how intense it was. And yeah. there was lengthy conversations with family, with my representatives. <clears throat> and then it came about, uh, to understand the, the gross intensity of PTSD that soldiers, men and women that go through in war. And so yeah. I, knew, I knew at that point when I got that okay by uh, a handful of mentors of mine uh, that I needed to do the film, but I also needed to do the film for me. It wasn't just for soldiers that were suffering from PTSD. It was exposing the PTSD that was in me. Okay. And I didn't know, I didn't really know that until, until almost a year and two years after the film came out. Right. You know, it really started to work on me because I started to work a lot more from that role and getting some of the publicity that came from that movie. And so it even made my it it made me grow as an actor. But getting back to your original question when I knew that I was going to approach it from that perspective of the suffering uh, of what goes on with military, yeah, it engaged me on a whole other level. Uh, and so that, that, was, that was the deep research that I did where I started to really understand post-traumatic stress disorder for veterans, active duty, and that was certainly the case with Jason, uh, my character in this movie. He was coming home uh, on a, on a uh, weekend or a two week leave pass after serving three tours yeah. and was just, you know, spent. And the film was even shot in a way, even how you're seeing me on camera now, um, the DP, very creatively shot the movie in a way to even make me look more ravaged from having three tours of duty. Yeah. Uh, where the character was not, you know, the, you know, we had discussions where we wanted to reach the audience through the feeling, uh, you know, and, and avoid anything that could, um, not expose that or detract from that. And so there were certain angles how the camera was used, especially when I was on the computer, 
to really show just the ravages of war, to show the stress. Uh, so yeah, that, that, that was my strong purposefulness. And that certainly just kept unfolding as we were making the film. It got very intense, mm. uh, certainly safe, but very intense. Uh, and I think once everyone started to really acclimate, and that's what's great about making a film on any level, whether it's a student film or some big studio film or you know, uh, episodic television show, the spontaneity of the creativity, and it gets, as you move up in production, uh, it gets so fast. You know, I, I attribute it to being like a professional sportsman where, you know, you just got, you got to get in there and you got to survive. You know, you got to trust your instincts. Again, that spontaneity. And, and that's what turned me on about the part too, that it was, the script was loaded with acting traps. And I think you give, you give uh, reference to that in, in, in both the reviews, the original write-up that you did uh, mm. from your channel and also the video re review. And you can see where, you know, all of us being growing artists and uh, always places to nip and tuck, get better, grow, expand. But I could see in the dialogue that it was filled with acting traps and to play that bravado, that, that toughness, you know, that, that's an easy place to, you know, for actors, it's easy to play anger, just like a human being. It's easy to be angry, mm. but the real power lies in the vulnerability, you know, the, the real power of any exchange, whether you're apologizing to somebody uh, for trespassing, you know, or a character that is vulnerable because they've been trespassed. But the dialogue, if it's written well, will dramatize it to cause the, the actor to have to fight against their hope and feeling. And as they're denied by the other actors to create the drama, therefore comes vulnerability. And, and it makes me think of that scene uh, in Anonymous. Um, mm. It's such a quick shot. But when I, when I go to Jessica, the actress uh, that plays my fiance, with that tool nail gun to try to get her to confess. And you see me crying, you see me pouring, you know, and, and there, was, there was a lot of that uh, in, in the film and they cut it and edited it the way they did. And I think they did a great job. Uh, just enough to show the, the scars and, and the PTSD of, of such a character, uh, you know, and that's what we do, right? We, we mask, we mask our pain, you know, with that bravado, with the ego. And I thought that this character was so perfect for me to try to play him as an active duty, you know, special forces uh, soldier in the, in the military, but to see the vulnerability of what takes place relationally with my fiance who was cheating on me, mm. you know, I mean, this is this is the real stuff, you know. This is uh, it's like what, what is in domestic violence. I don't know how what it might be called in England, but when there's a domestic violent violence call from the police department, that's the most dangerous call the police department gets. More than burglary, more than 
an assault out on the street, when there's domestic violence, when the deepest of feelings are being exposed between loved ones or couples, right. it's dangerous because they're, they'll act out of ways that are really in their gut or things that are unresolved from their childhood. And that is how I approach Jason, that mm. whatever backstory I had too long to share before I became into the military, became a, a special forces soldier. Uh, but the experiences that I took on in war in the backstory were very relative, which come up in, in, the, in the film and on the, uh, when I'm talking to the computer where you realize that I was doing special ops that were off the grid, off the radar of, you know, torturing uh, POWs to get information that we couldn't get yeah. otherwise. And uh, so when it pops up on the computer, that vulnerability comes. And then because the script, the storyline was so good, you know, for any good protagonist, all things should be closing in. So as you realize, we did the DMT, you know, I have my, well, it first starts with Eric. He's a successful realtor. He's living in America. I start to have feelings, wow, he's living on blood that I have shed and my mm. fellow men have shed to bring freedom, to give him this opportunity. You know, it starts to build, you know, and then it builds when we do the drug and he's, he's a little sarcastic to me uh, as Eric. Yes. Not, not as, not as uh, the actor himself, because he was a beautiful soul, mm. uh, David. Uh, but in, in, the, in the exchanges, it starts to unwind. And when we do the drug, that's where it gets released. And uh, that's when I can't control it anymore. And now I'm certain uh, that he's had an affair and all the little jabs or shortcomings or sarcasm that he, he said since I arrived, it just, keeps, it just keeps closing in on me and the character cannot stop uh, these demons, right? Coming up out of him from having been in war mm. and unexpressed energy and harboring and holding and never talking about the pain, right? That's, yeah. that's what great character is. They're, they're just, uh, they're beat up. And whether you're a hero that's gonna rescue a bunch of people or you're a villain that's going to hurt a lot of people in a, in a, in a storyline, it, it's interesting to see. And so playing Jason uh, in, its, in its intensities, uh, and that's why I think it was cut really well because it's really short where you see the opening of the film where I discover all these people are dead in the room and I don't know how it happened. Of course. And then I start to put it together and then I want to survive as the character and, uh, and then it just keeps, you know, unwinding. So, yeah, I don't know if that, that helps. Uh, again, that was long-winded, but yeah. That's awesome. Um, I, I thought it was interesting as well. You put upon, obviously, things get quite, uh, the limits are pushed. The limits are pushed as the movie goes on, Anonymous 616, particularly the latter portion of the film. And you did talk about how you talk to your family about elements and stuff like that. Was there ever a point in some of those events where you thought, even as an actor, whoa, this might be too much for me? Was there ever a point considering some of the events that take place in the last 30 odd minutes? Um, 
Not while we were making the film. Okay. I knew, I, I, when, I, when I vetted the script, certainly for myself and uh, shared with family and, and mm. colleagues, uh, really great mentors at the Actors Studio. Uh, Charlie Deercup was one of them who was in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. He also was uh, in a lot of huge films and he's an older gentleman now and a great actor and more of a great actor, he's a great friend. And I shared a lot with him. I also shared with uh, a director, theater director and very accomplished uh, theater director named Michael Arabian in, in Los Angeles, who's directed me in several uh, stage plays uh, and also was a great teacher. And, and so as I started to understand the material, I knew at that point, and I knew how they were gonna shoot certain elements, uh, you know, uh, that it, certain things would be faded, faded out and, and implied. And yes, certainly still very intense, but mm. I was turned on by the role because of, again, going back to the original uh, objective was what these types of uh, active duty and veterans go through. Yeah. And as I started to do more research, early on, even after I accepted the role, and you see the domestic violence that goes on, at least in America, I, I presume it's all around the world, and God forbid there's not laws to protect or resources to protect families, but some of these, these veterans, they come home and things just like this happen. Mm -hmm. And so uh, not in terms of the storyline and you know doing DMT and drugs, no drugs involved, or maybe drugs involved or addiction involved to, to deal with the PTSD of being in war. And then and, and story after story that I was finding of just horrific situations with families. And I thought, wow, here's a platform, a canvas that is exposing all of that. Yeah. And I'm an actor and, uh, you know, I think as we acclimate into society, as we grow as beings, just like we're seeing everything is being seen. Everybody knows everything. And if you don't believe that, you're living in the past. And so even when we shot the film uh, early on in 20, it was March of 2017, we filmed it. And it came out like a, a almost a year later, I guess it yeah. was. But uh, the more that I owned the decision, uh, whether it was the first minute or the last 30 minutes of that movie, that it was my job to bear my feelings, mm. my, my draw uh, and the, I mean, some of the best criticism that I've gotten are from veterans, you know, that will write in and say, I wish there was more stories that showed this, not per se that storyline, because it gets very dark at points, yeah. but to show how intense and what, because some, some, thank God, some, some of these uh, veterans, uh, soldiers, uh, active duty military, they just think about these things. Some of them act them out, but to be able to see such an intense uh, expression in this movie of, of a character that's dealing with PTSD, it opens up the point where there is a conversation where you go, God, that's how, 
how I feel, whether it's to do harm to themselves or someone else because they can't express their feelings, you know? So yeah, I think the greatest criticism I've gotten is, is a handful uh, of people that I didn't even know that had, that had written in that were active duty military uh, and have been so supportive uh, and validating for me, you know, for my decision to play this role, so. Oh, that's awesome. That really is amazing stuff. And as you say, I mean, considering the role of other people who are gonna write into either criticize or praise, yeah, you said it yourself, what validation, you know? Yeah. But that same year, uh, at least it was released, then we starred in another horror movie, although one with a, a bit more of a comedic edge in One Must Fall. Yes. More with, fun? Uh, yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> yeah, that had more of a, a thriller, comedic, uh, horror genre, I guess there's however you say, but. Yeah, I was, uh, interestingly enough, I was originally cast, not cast, but originally being auditioning for uh, the gentleman that actually played the killer. Oh, okay. And, uh, and then, it, interestingly enough, speaking of, you know, everyone, it's in the eyes of the beholder of how people see you, uh, certainly filmmakers and directors, and Antonio Pantoa, the amazing director of One Must Fall, mm. uh, who has me lined up for another feature film with him and a, one of the projects that got canceled with this, this uh, musical artist that was gonna play the lead in the video shot in LA, but it got canceled because of COVID. But Anto uh, Antonio Pantoa, when he reached out to me uh, after I knew they weren't, they uh, were not gonna bring me in for uh, the, that role, he said, I have the perfect role in mind for you. And so all he sent me was the sides and it wasn't a lot. And, you know, my actor ego was, well, I wanted the, you know, this big part, so I presumed. And it was a very big part, uh, the role of the, the killer in the movie. Mm. And so he goes, I have you in this, this mind, this other role. And it's a character that is, I don't know if you've got to see the film yet, but uh, where I play a victim. Indeed. Uh, and so you see, if, you, if you've seen the trailer, you'll see kind of like the flip side of this vulnerable character that is, that is begging for his life, you know, who gets captured by the killer. And so uh, it was very, the movie was incredible. The filming was incredible. Uh, Antonio Pantoa, the producers were incredible. It was just an amazing experience. Uh, it was all shot in Kentucky and uh, they treated me uh, as much as uh, I had hoped that I treated them as the actor in the collaboration. Uh, but yeah, very, very fun. But my character was also divulging very deep, vulnerable issues of what it really means to beg for your life. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and it's interesting when I look back at that film, I, I learned, you know, every movie, uh, every play, uh, every scene you work on in class, uh, every rehearsal, you know, whether you're a musician, every gig, whether you're, 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 playing, you're playing at a local pub or you're playing, you know, to the world, you know, you're always learning. And I, when I look back in that movie, I shot, we shot it early in 2018. Uh, you know, and I see myself in the film where I was pushing at points, 
you know, and because and film is so delicate, you know, it's such a delicate medium. And, uh, but yeah, I think that, I, I think I, that goes without, without saying in terms of the process, because it's not just all fun and great and, oh, you did a great job. And yeah, you still get tough press sometimes or a, an audience, a fan will write in and they'll say something that's tough to hear. You know, so it's always in process. You know, mm. I, I attribute, you know, being a great actor is like being a great person. We're all, always in a great process, you know, trying to uh, be transparent, share our feelings, taking good advice. But yeah, that movie was very fun because I got to learn uh, a lot and uh, was grateful that my work was received very well uh, in Kentucky and with Antonio. and. But again, yeah, so incredible time shooting that movie. So thank you for asking. I'm glad that was the case, uh, particularly as well with just a little bit digging. And because of the the both films coming out in 2018, Anonymous and um, One Must Fall, I don't know if you were particularly aware, but, but you had caught the attention of a horror crowd, even though both films have elements of comedy and thriller and so on. That association, the idea that you could be associated with horror movies, uh, or at least that style, is that something that you mind? And considering you are such a versatile actor on stage and in front of the camera, because of those two movies, would that be something you particularly care about? Or would it be like, oh, brilliant, at least um, the horror community is accepting me? Um, I think if there's any opportunity for me as an artist, uh, that if I do my job for me and certainly yep. the way I've been trained and the aspirations and dreams that I have, that any audience is an opportunity. Uh, certainly for me to grow as an artist, to learn more about my instrument, uh, to create opportunities I mean, I can't tell you, even One Must Fall, mm. and Antonio Pantoa is, again, COVID cut it off, but he, he was shooting this major artist that just had a press release around the world on Yahoo and, and other sources. And he called me up, he goes, Daniel, uh, if you're available, I wanna cast you as the lead. It's a guy and a girl. Uh, it's a Bonnie and Clyde premise. It's just gonna be you and her in the shot. It's with this up and coming uh, received artist. He's getting press around the world. Mm. And uh, so here again, I'm playing a very villainous character that's based on Bonnie and Clyde, you know, the American story. Of course. Probably, I suspect. Uh, the movie, certainly. And this is how the work comes. As you, as you, as you grow and as you, as your career builds, you learn that your greatest asset are relationships. So you start to have better working relationships. You start to work better as an artist just from experience, you know. Uh, and now you start to build relationships and you start to you start to work with directors and producers that are getting projects funded and made. Uh, and as I said earlier in the conversation, as you move up. In, in, the, in the work, it gets faster and faster because mm. 
you start to, because you, and you, and that's the truth that you're growing as an actor or you're growing as a talent, you know, show up and do your job. You know, you hire a plumber, they come and they fix your pipes. You hire an actor, they show up, they know their lines, they're on time. Uh, they're very respectful. They're part of the solution, not part of the problem, you know? And so any audience is an opportunity you know, I used, to, I used to drive professionally uh, in Los Angeles as a security driver, and I had really profound clients. Yeah. And one of which was Malcolm McDowell, uh, who, was a, who was a Brit, mm. uh, who you know from, uh, he was in Batman as one of the three. I mean, my God, he was in uh, Clockwork Orange. Of course. <laughs> and uh, he was my client. I was a young actor at the time, and I picked him up and uh, he said to me, he goes, what do you do? You know, you look like an actor. And that made me feel good. You know, I, I had no credits at the time and had very little experience. And he said to me, he goes, he goes, you need to take every job that comes your way if you're not already working and getting paid and you are free to work. Because he's the one that said to me, everyone is your audience mm. and you're always learning and you're always growing. And I'll never forget that. Uh, so, and here, you know, what's interesting, Carl, is here uh, almost 20 years later, maybe 17 years ago when I met him in that, that brief instant, that there's a project in development I'm on called The Hit. And, and we sent an offer actually to Malcolm McDowell to, to play uh, a role in the film and COVID had hit and everything just kind of shut down. But just to kind of give perspective of a 17 to 20 year period, here I am driving this man. And now there's a film that I'm cast in as the lead called The Hit. It's in development. You can see it on IMDb mm -hmm. uh, with great uh, talent already attached. And, and now we're trying to get Malcolm McDowell attached to the film. And it, it's just, that just dawned on me, like how grateful I am, you know, uh, That's to, good not, to have not given up, to, not, to have not given up, you know, to persevere and, uh, and grow, so. But yeah, that was long-winded again. But to the horror, to the horror crowd, to, uh, primetime television crowd, whether that's a horror genre, American Horror Story. I know when Anonymous 616 came out and I was getting some notoriety and attention, my agent and my manager were, were trying to get me on uh, American Horror Story. Oh, and, okay. uh, you know, just trying to find, trying to find a way to get a bigger audience, you know? Yeah. And uh, even Weekend Warriors, it's not a horror film, but I do play the lead. Uh, antagonist, and uh, and you'll see in that film very similar to that which I played in Anonymous mm. uh, in Weekend Warriors, where the character hopefully will be redeemed based on why he moves into that area. You know, uh, very interesting. And, yeah, so it's it's very interesting. But yeah, I have, you know, people are people. Audience is audience. And if I'm so given the privilege to play to any audience, uh, 
you know, to express myself as a living being uh, to someone else to hopefully, again, break, have a breakthrough, whether I make them laugh or make them cry, hopefully mm -hmm. they don't hate me, uh, but, you know, and, uh, you know, make a connection. Well, hating your characters different, you know, if your character is such a villain that they can't relate in any way, shape or form and just despise you, then it's still a, an emotional reaction. So that's true. Hey, yeah. Yeah. And hopefully there's, hopefully there's some contrast you know, to the other characters in the film uh, that build a bridge with the audience that of way. Of course. You know? yeah. Well, you mentioned a couple of, couple of times already on the 1st of April, uh, 2021, Weekend Warriors. Trailer is out now, go check it out. It is very, very intriguing. You've talked about it being a coming of age. Um, and in the trailer, when your character is shown, Wesley is his name, right? Yes. Yes. Instantly, if you know your body of work in the past, in particularly things like Anonymous and stuff like that, there is a, a connection to be being made in the brief shots that you're in the trailer where it's like, okay, you could be playing a character that's got a little bit of that intensity again. Is that actually the case across the uh, film without spoiling it, of course? Um, Absolutely not. The oh, movie, cool. just 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 like the trailer mm. uh, comes about, where it looks like it's going one way, and then it completely makes a right hand turn uh, when my character comes forth that you can see in the teaser. I have not seen the entire film yet. Oh, awesome! Uh, uh, but soon will probably in the next week. I was invited to to see it with some of production on a Zoom meeting like this because of COVID. So I, I anticipate seeing the whole film. I have seen some, some dailies of what was being put in the final cut, which mm. was really encouraging. So you, you know, you'll, you're going to see me, uh, and I am, I am the team leader uh, on this expedition that we're going off as weekend warriors. So I'm the leader to the group to keep people motivated, to keep them encouraged, uh, to keep them uplifted. Uh, because we're battling against another uh, team of paintballers, you know, yeah. we're out in the wilderness. Uh, I'm sure they, you know, of this uh, exercise that people do. Mm, absolutely. And so, yeah, so there's a great part in the film where I have to bring most of the cast together, the, the main cast, uh, all those fine actors and actresses that are on my team and who also is on my team is uh, uh, the, the, the young actor who is um, played by Jack Rose and Juliette Rouge, the, mm. the brother and sister that we meet early on in the film. And they're, they're the niece and nephew of uh, Joey, who is played by Jason London. Yeah. And, uh, and so they're in this group powwow where I have to say, look, you know, if we're going to win this, you know, we've got to come together. We've got to unite. We've got to uh, be communicative. We've we've got to work as a team. And so it's a so to kind of give reference to your question, you can see where my character is. He's of solution and value to the storyline, but then something happens where he is lied to. Sadly. Mm. Uh, and that's a good 
teaser because I'm not giving it away. Uh, Fair enough. And, that, and, and that's what brings his redemption for his actions is that same as he was in trouble before the movie started, uh, because my character, his background, which is alluded to in the story, and I can't share that. Of course. Uh, without giving it away. But you see that he was already in trouble emotionally, psychologically, but is trying to do good. Similar to Jason in Anonymous 616. He goes off to war, you know, uh, he experiences these things that happen to him. And so there, there's a stirring in him uh, that gets awakened by an experience, just like in real life. Someone, lose a, someone loses their spouse, a loved one. Uh, I remember, you know, I've lost both my mother and father in my life and they were both horribly tragic as they would be for anyone, no matter how close or unclose you might be with a parent, presumably knowing them to some degree. But Carl, when I lost a pet that I owned for 20 years, because the love between me and the pet was unconditional, mm. the pet to me, I experienced feelings that I, it triggered me in ways that I never imagined because there was, there was no PTSD, there was no unconscious hurt that ever happened between me and my pet. Yeah. I never saw it coming, it came out of left field and it, it helped me grow substantially as a human being to be more empathetic, with myself and certainly others, and certainly getting to as an actor, it made me grow as an actor, you know? And that happened about two and a, almost two years ago to the date. And um, I remember working on Weekend Warriors mm. and uh, even some other projects and revisiting that feeling. And so when, it, when a sudden event comes into our lives, that sudden event could be, like I said, a loss of a loved one, or it could be someone says a word that either lifts you up or cuts you down. And both ways, it can activate suppressed feelings that happened to us as a child. Or, And so learning about those sensitivities as an actor in the work, when that trigger goes off in Weekend Warriors, my character does a 180. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm finding, which is what is really beautiful, because uh, here I'm, I'm getting ready to do another film that's upcoming, that uh, hasn't been announced yet, that I am as grateful, about, as grateful as I am to be here sharing it with you, as I am to have the opportunity. You know, as we know, this business is tough. Uh, but this upcoming project, you know, I, as I always say, my next role is my dream role. Okay. Uh, because it's going to make me have to go a little bit deeper. And uh, I'm playing a very tough character in this upcoming film. And he goes through a complete 180 from intensity to feeling, to letting go, you know, without giving it away too much. No, but you say, you're telling, what you're describing is... Um automatically puts a smile on my face considering what we've been talking about how um 180s and intensity and stuff like that the idea that you would be playing a role that does the opposite of that yes is immediately fascinating 
and I'm doing and I'm doing that in the in the in the play right now, Red, uh, the one I mentioned earlier on the call with Ilya Volik. Ilya Volik is a uh, native Ukrainian, and he and he he's worked tremendously in the business uh, as a ru playing Russians. He's, I mean, he's played opposite Will Smith, and uh, he was in uh, Indiana Jones Part Three. He, I mean, he's just been in enormous films, uh, mm. huge roles. And he's a very powerful actor. And so because the play Red is based on the real artist, Mark Rothko, who is an Eastern European, uh, this role for Ilya is really perfect uh, just because he, he's from the same area that the artist was from. Mm. And my character plays his assistant. Kind of similar to how I look today. I actually had these glasses on in the what we shot, and I'm studious. I'm an intern for him. I'm assisting him, uh, and the the role is teaching me uh, such great things about me as an actor. Again, me as a person. But again, there's no. And you know this piece. Uh, if we get lucky enough to get the rights to shoot the whole thing as a movie, it's pretty horrific because it's no secret that the, pay, the play has been uh, published and already put on, not as a movie like we're we're bidding for. Yeah. But Mark Rothko, the famed artist whose last collection sold for eighty-three million dollars, uh, and I feel horrible. It's his his. It's on exhibit right in London. Um, I can't think of the name of the art house that's hmm. that has it, but Mark Rothko, uh, if you're curious, I'll send you a link to it, but he committed suicide in real life, you know, and that's depicted in the play. Yeah. And it gets very, it, it's, it's hinted on as a very bloody ending. And what it, what turns out to be, uh, red paint that my character discovers when I come in on him mm. because he's been talking about suicide throughout the play. And I kind of take him on as the role because I'm the assistant or the intern. There's a father figure element uh, that's in the personification of the role. So when, and I'm also challenging him. I, I also have great aspirations in the role that he will take me under his wing and bring me up as a painter too, but he keeps keeping, you know, he's tough on me. But at the end of the play, when I walk in and he's really drunk, passed out and I see all this red paint, I think he's done the deed, he's killed himself. Mm -hmm. And so when I run to him to hold him, you know, and, the, and the, the pain of that vulnerability of, how does this happen on my watch? You know, is the 180, like you said, coming at, coming from it from another place, you know, from a storyline, but any great performance uh, with a really crafted and experienced actor can implement that vibration as soon as they're on camera or as soon as they're on stage, you can embody a real living human being, whether you're playing the, the, the supervillain or the superhero uh, to draw the audience in. You know, if we play stereotypes, you know, it's like 
it's what's coming of age now in the industry. We love to see a flawed hero. Yes. We love to see a flawed hero because this, this is the world we're living in. There is no more, you know, fake it till you make it. No, mm -hmm. we want the truth. I want the truth. I want the truth as an artist so I can play the truth because that's who's watching and listening. They've always been watching and listening. Me, you, anyone is always yep. watching and listening. We're human beings, you know? And uh, so that's why that's, that's exciting for me to share because, you know, for whatever it is in me that that's allotted me the opportunities to play these really intense roles and be able to bring a full living human breathing being that can hopefully touch every person that's in the audience, you know, any economic class, any society. Uh, that's my job. Yeah. And that's my work. And that's my reward. You know, that's my reward to say, hey, boy, you made me feel this or you made mm -hmm. me, you made me think about that or, you know, so. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously we're focused on uh, your work in on stage and on in front of camera, but I mean, in your own life, you've been touched and felt things via artists as well. And, and it's not always just gonna be from the craft that you've chosen to perform in, am I right? That's right. I mean, we cannot deny who we are in every single experience that we've encountered as a human, whether conscious or unconscious, that's what we're, that's what we're walking in the room with. And when we know that, then we can trust that uh, and try to be our best self through our feelings, the instant feeling. You know, I always say, if you don't like something, if you can't create a solution with it and a collaboration, then your, your option is, certainly if it's available, to leave. Can always walk away. Yeah, if everyone is not dancing, mm. you know the music. So <laughs> like that. Yeah, and that's why I like to, you know, again, I check in with you again, please. If I'm, I hope you edit this because it's going to be very long. And I don't, I, I love chatting because it helps me grow, helps me express, and I love to hear more too. If any questions or. I've got a few more for you, so we'll carry on if you're good. Um, and it's now I want to touch upon, uh, what, you know, continuing the eclectic nature of the roles you take and the films you're involved in. The lay of the lay, the lay of La La Land, a little bit mouthful for me, adapted from the A.Y. Miles novel of the same name. Yes. This is a very um, interesting, interesting and uh, dare I say quite unique tale. And the question's got to be again, what on earth attracted you to want to be a part of this? Yeah, again, um, yeah, it's so interesting. Mm. I don't want to sound like a broken record, but this film was, was, was completed in 2017 uh, because it had a couple of incidences in the film where they lost a cast member and uh, there needed to be some reshooting and, mm. and reconfiguring of the film and and uh and i remember when i auditioned for it i that same project at a different time that i had was about to go and it didn't go and i remember i got this audition and i went in and 
we, we, myself and the production, the director and casting, we were listening to the same music and I got cast in the role. And um, I remember they sent me the whole script. I remember I was living in a different residence at the time. And I remember I was reading the script and I, and I threw the script on the floor after I read it. And I said, I can't do this movie. There's no freaking way. Okay. And, uh, and then I had a long talk uh, with the director of the movie at the time. And when he told me how he was gonna film it, that it's really to expose the abuse that goes in and around, you know, the porn industry for men and women alike, but certainly in this film, uh, it was honed in on a female mm. uh, being the lead and, uh, and how she was abused as a child and how that abuse carries over into adulthood. And then that's why he gives reference in the film how a child, a, a child, a person abused as a child is always looking for a savior. Right. And so depending upon the personality type, whether you become, I mean, whatever the exchange is, everyone's a victim, you know, mm. to some degree, whether you're the uh, assailant or the victim. Yeah. You know, and in this case, we realize that, you know, I think certain elements of any experience of one's life, you get drawn into doing things because you feel safe in it because it happened to you, but you don't have enough consciousness to know that it's, that your livelihood or your literal life is, you know, uh, jeopardized, you know? And so when I had this talk with him and was pursued more of which it's moving into where they're, they're, the film is gonna be marketed under the Me Too movement yeah. of understanding the abuse of women. And so the director's goal was trying to attract as much of the porn industry as he could mm. to then give a different perspective of how people may objectify human beings. Yeah. You know, and take it for what it is or will. That that's what he he shared with me at the time. And uh, and so again, I I reread the script, uh, a little more open to it. Uh, and uh, went for it, yeah, and uh, and no doubt looking back, just in terms of you know what I learned in that role, um, you know, again the experience as as an artist, uh, certainly knowing what's coming of the film for again, you know, playing the antagonist that's trying to grind on the on the story's hero, mm. you know, it's it's the dichotomy of what's talked about in. The Hero's Journey by Joseph Campbell about Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. They're the same character, mm. you know, trying to understand the dark side that drives us and the light side to bring the dark side into balance, you know, uh, you know, Absolutely. To own whatever they're doing. And, and, and that's what's so great about when you play a villain because someone can see that movie, you know, and be like, you know, oh my God, the way you played that role, it was so powerful and it was so fearless and relentless. You know, I've had critics write as if they were cheering 
the decisions and that the story provide of the intensity. And I, and I, and I, I just know in my own journey how that person is having a feeling of unexpressed PTSD. Mm. You know, whether you're expressing a great anger to the point that you're hurting yourself or someone else, it's in there and it's got to come out. And that's what's great about art, whether it's heavy metal music or <laughs> Anonymous 616. I forget the great artist. I, I, I think he was one of the artists from, uh, uh, I don't know if it was ACDC or I think it was. I'm gonna look it up when we when we end our call. But one of the band members, I think it was the guitarist, that he hoped that of certain uh, groups of people or ethnicities that they could just hear ACDC just so they could get their anger out, right? To sing along with it because everything is a confession. Everything is someone hurt me. This is what happened, and this is how I feel. If we never talk about it then we're looking for things to express that for us. Mm. And so that's why I think art is so important. All mediums are important because it, it puts us in the question of why do I feel this way? You know, if I do play a villainous character and I do act like this, I'm gonna go to jail or someone's gonna kill me. Yeah. If I help someone and I do it right and I don't look for recognition, but I just help, eventually my reputation will precede me just in goodwill. So mm. then maybe I get more opportunities, you know, I don't know, but, or I play a villainous character really well and I stir up things in people. And so I can be trusted and given uh, gracious opportunities to play like roles in films that communicate a higher understanding or at least put it in question. Not trying to save anybody, not trying to rescue anyone, just, you know, putting the art out there to hopefully evoke a feeling. So yeah, uh, the lay of La La Land um, uh, is simply another embodiment of that. And, uh, and I'm seeing that more and more. I mean, we, we, we see it with Anonymous 616, you know, where I'm playing a character that has been very uh, beat up. You don't see it too much. I mean, I think if any, depending on whatever industry you're in, if, if there's any abuse, physical abuse uh, or mental abuse going on, I think that there is some, uh, and I argue this to this day, even if you're playing a co-starring role where you're just playing a, a killer, you know, you can bring a certain humanness, you know, to that role, you know, of something that you're struggling with internally versus just being a tough guy that, or a tough, person or a tough woman that enacts uh, some violent act in a, in a role. No, you're so, I think you're absolutely right when you talk about that. When it, take horror, for example, when people talk about iconic characters within the horror genre, they'll often reference be it the heroine or hero side or the villainous villain side. And the ones that have stood the test of times are the ones that have layers of characters, ones that are vulnerable and people can connect to, be it say um, Sigourney Weaver as Ellen Ripley and aliens, uh, yeah. aliens, stuff like that. You know, I completely um, understand where you come from with that. Yeah, Anthony Hopkins comes to mind. I, I always, you know, that really made him a global star when he yeah. played in Silence of the Lambs. And you're falling in, I mean, he's not even really, he's, he's very vulnerable, but it's being processed through his intellect. And so you, you hold him in reverence 
just because of how thorough he is in keeping you engrossed in, a, in him allowing you in. And so you start to develop a trust just like uh, the character uh, opposite him uh, fell into. Yeah. It was in the storyline, it was in the writing, and I'm sure certainly in the casting, when they made the film, they knew that she uh, would be perfect for the part. And, uh, and I'm sure they discovered it more and more as they were making the movie. And you start to see all the different elements of production in a film, how a casting director is, is as valid as the star actor or uh, the producers are as, it's, it's such a collaborative thing. And then you, and then I discovered as an artist that that collaboration just becomes a bigger reservoir for you to use when you're actually making the film. I was just saying to an actor the other day in a rehearsal uh, that we're gearing up for this new film I spoke of earlier. Yeah. And he had some questions about the script and how he was going to broach it with production. And, and I said, look, I said, you just need to, you need to tell him how you feel, just go for it. I said, but just think right now you and I are developing more of a shorthand because he and I are uh, two of the three leads in the movie and uh, we're playing detectives. And I go, look at how much we're learning just by this conversation of what will be brought in front of the camera. You know, so it's, so it's, so the artist, as you get closer to the production, you start to inter, interweave things that allow you to have a shorthand when the camera goes off. So you can have more trust, more sovereignty of not knowing what's going to happen on the day of, of, of photography, of shooting. And so you get this spontaneous thing, you know, and really trying to play hope, always trying to win your victim over or your patient or your, uh, you know, person that needs to be rescued, you know, whether that's for good or for ill, it's keeping them on the hook that you're going to help them, whether you are or you're not, because now that's what everyone wants. Mm. We all want that. You know, we all want someone to help us, no matter if we're in complete denial of it, of you know. And so if, if the writing is really good, if it's dramatized really well, and the actor has to play hope, you know, like think of Jason and Anonymous, you know. Uh, you know, even when I revisit that film, I see places where, you know, and I needed to, it wasn't wrong, it's where I was, but as I become more understood of my instrument and of humanity, I can see places where I pushed a little too much in certain places, you know, where, I could still enjoy what I was feeling or try my best, but to keep Eric or to keep uh, Jessica mm. or any actor in the, in the movie still in question, like, you know, who does it perfectly uh, is Jack Nicholson. You know, he is probably revered as the, one of the most charismatic actors to his own fault you know as he's yeah as he's gotten you know we see this a lot of times with they become so powerful no one ever no one really they just let them show up and do their thing and sometimes it gets overcooked sometimes in, in their latter roles near the end of their career not him per se you know i don't know who's going to see this i think he's amazing oh he's absolutely. also he's also a, a i've heard great stories about him at the actor studio where uh 
when he first auditioned, you know, uh, for people that I've worked in front of and you're hearing, you hear these stories of encouragement too, where he was struggling as a, as a young actor and, and, and uh, Lee Strasberg saying, saying to him in session, you're the least charismatic actor that the studio has, Jack, but here he is now the most charismatic uh, to, a, to a degree. Uh, incredible. Incredible actor, you know, where he, and so he keeps you on the hook. As soon as he's on the camera, he's always smiling. He's always having a good time, you know, and these are things uh, that I'm trying to move closer to as an artist, you know, uh, of having a human experience and letting hopefully what would be great writing start to get to the point where you, you're trying to still smile, but it's starting to hurt now, mm -hmm. but just, you know, and you've got to play that, you've got to dramatize. That's where when a great crafted actor meets great writing. And that's where you unleash uh, unpredictable, and then you unleash uh, a magnet of humanity that wants to know, that's intrigued uh, because it's good writing and you know, real a real human experience coming through. So it's the perfect combination, and it's interesting because uh, you've talked a lot about how you're always taking advice and how you said at the very very start of this conversation. Uh, that you you're still learning, yeah, always. You imparting your knowledge upon uh, young aspiring actors and workers, be it screenwriters and so on. Is that something that you do quite enjoy, sort of putting, uh, educating, or imparting your knowledge? Uh, I do. I absolutely do. I I've worked uh, as a coach in LA uh, for many years, helping uh, fellow actors that I know. Uh, prepare for auditions as much as they've helped me too. Uh, so I have a very strong network of, of uh, friends uh, that are mostly actors, some directors, some both uh, that I exercise where I'm either helping them or mm. you know, I'll get a big audition and I'll go, I'll go see Michael Arabian or uh, Lou Antonio or Charlie Deercup you know, noted people in the industry that will uh, help me, you know, and I learn from them. And so, you know, your only good is, is what you're teaching, you know? And so as I teach it, I also become more trusting and more aware of the experience uh, when I'm working as an actor uh, to trust more, you know? Yeah. Because it's easy, it's easy to have a plan. We all have a plan, you know. I mean, how hard is it? How hard is it to, to have a business like yours per se, and you have schedule, plan, and content, and things you want to review? You know, it's the the great challenge is still to be creatively trusting and spontaneous yeah. of how that work gets prepared up to the point where you and I are having an interview. None of this was planned. I planned. I didn't even plan what I was wearing. I put this on at the last minute. You know, <laughs> I tried to look my best. You know, uh, I, I, I am so grateful and uh, have come to love your channel. And I'm so grateful for the work that you've done on Anonymous. And I hope you, I hope you give some, some, some love and criticism to the lay of La La Land, uh, which just got a distribution deal. I saw, uh, absolutely. Yeah. We're excited about that. And, uh, but yeah any consideration on that. And, and certainly, uh, 
when Weekend Warriors comes out, you'll be uh, in, in my top slot to getting that workout too, to get you to consider that as well. And so, yeah, yeah. So, so thank right. you so much, Carl. Well, we actually, I'm actually coming to the end now. Um, over Great. the next couple of years, and I guess this is very hyperbole and really a what if more than anything else. Is there something you would specifically like to accomplish in any part of your craft, be it a specific, be a, a specific role in a style of genre or um, something that maybe you could take to the stage that you've been considering? I mean, you've mentioned a couple of things that you're working on already and that you would like to see, but um, I, I, is it just that? <clears throat> yes, it is. You know, uh, my dad, who always used to say when he was asked, which your next, or what is your favorite uh, piece, if you will, mm -hmm. he too being an artist, he, don't, he would always say the next one I'm about to work on. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm holding dear into my heart with uh, this new film that's upcoming uh, that hasn't been shot. It's just in preliminary stages of getting cast. Uh, also with the biggest opportunity I've ever come upon with a real all-star cast, uh, working opposite some really great people that I revere that are, that are known throughout the industry, throughout the world. Can I just so, interrupt you? Uh, it, it is this been announced as an its title exists? Because I think I'm, I'm wondering if it's the same film that I've seen uh, been announced. No, no, nope. you have I may have written an email to you about it, but nothing, no, I'm nothing, not, nothing published, no PR. It, 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 we're, waiting, we're waiting for a couple of contractual things uh, with some of the talent and some of the production. Because uh, it it'll, get, it'll get announced, it'll get announced on IMDb. Yeah. Uh, that's what that's it that's what i'm looking at is your uh, imdb there's two films yeah. at the top of it where it's got announced and uh, one of Not them there. yeah the, the, those two films uh if you go on imdb you'll see uh the hit uh you'll see uh buddha and clyde which is still in development the elephant ride which that's, that's was one, one of one of the projects that was supposed to go that got stopped from COVID, which is still on hold uh with all that great uh talent that we have attached yeah but this one, but this one has uh, and then the hit i don't know if you're on imdb pro uh that's been announced you can only see that on imdb pro yeah um that's the one we reached out to malcolm mcdowell for which hopefully we'll, we'll still get a bite we'll see mm. um, but uh this film is is brand new it's just been written uh i can tell you that the director of it is the same director of weekend warriors okay uh uh, but other than that, I can't share because uh, I want to save it for when it's when it's announced, especially <laughs> because of the talent that's attached. Yeah, but that cool. that movie upcoming is uh, it's going to really it's it's going to take me to the next place in my craft uh, as a film actor because again, I, I certainly have some good experience on stage and 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 jump at the opportunity and will likely with this play Red. Uh, with Ilya Volek uh, when we can get back into the theater in LA and we're certainly going to do the whole play on film uh, whether it's uh, to be published once we get the rights or educationally if we don't I'm very excited about that piece uh, as I described the character that I was playing as assistant but with uh, this new film it's uh, 
yeah, I'm just, I'm so excited about the character because I'm going to be able to get into new places in my craft, uh, in my humanity, uh, certainly the opportunity uh, to be in this film and with the talent that's attached and uh, even more looking forward to sharing with, you know, your channel and, and uh, yeah, so very excited about that. Your enthusiasm shines through. I can almost see you wanting to say things, but of course, as you said, no, that can't happen. And just watching you learn something you learn as being in this business, you know, uh, wearing your your creative heart on your sleeve, and yeah, it's taken me a long time to learn that lesson. But this is one that I that I will keep under my belt. And but yeah, very excited. Uh, it's it's a it's a thriller. I'll tell you that. I've, I've had enough experiences of having to edit interviews um, where someone, artist, has said something that is not supposed to be press released for much further into the future and are desperately yeah. sending emails to say, can you please cut that out? So we're more than yes. used to that side of things anyway. Um, well, Daniel, we, I'll, give you the, I'll give you this much. Okay. My great temptation is it's like the movie The Fugitive meets No Country for Old Men. That's the genre of the film. It's uh, it's two heavyweight movies there. Yeah, so very excited for this opportunity, and uh, again, more to come. And on that note, that's where we're going to call time on this. Daniel, thank you so very thank much. Thank you, thank you, brother. Chat. We'll talk again soon, and uh, I'll look forward to hearing back from you. Thank you very much for watching. You can check us out on gbhbell.com as well as on Facebook, Instagram. Twitter and Tumblr. Go to Patreon to help us out over there, that's patreon.com forward slash GBHBL, as well as Big Cartel where you can find some of our merchandise. We have a podcast running on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts, and of course, if you like this video, do us a favour, hit the subscribe button and help the channel grow. Games, horror and heavy metal, what else is life for?